All right, we're up. Go ahead, Rodney, take it, off. Take it away. Welcome new members and returning members. Today we have a very special guest, someone that I watch and I follow dearly. Uh, Carrie Cassidy is a fierce leader in the disclosure movement. For 16 years, she has been exposing the truth on the secret space programs, black projects, ETs, and Ascension and Free Energy. Project Campbot has a documented testimony of whistleblowers above top secret clearances in the secret governments, as well as authors, resource, researchers, and experience covering conspiracies. And I'm sure that word conspiracy wasn't the first time you heard that, Carrie. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, good to hear. Um, good to be here. Yes, I would like to welcome you. I know there's uh, one video that we all love is uh, Project Looking Glass. I think that was, wow, that really touched a lot of us. I was wondering if you can explain to some of the members, like some of the things you learned about it with Bill Wood. I've, I've heard the, the Q name be popped up. Like we know that that like showed the future. So did that have something tied into where how some of them question, oh, well, how, how do they know, what Q know about what's going on now from like three years ago? Like, does that tie up with Looking Glass and what did you learn from it? Oh, well, um, actually, uh, we didn't learn about Project Looking Glass from Bill Wood. Uh, Bill Wood was uh, someone who came along later. Uh, actually, Project Looking Glass was outed by Dan Burish and his partner, uh, Marcia McDowell. And they were ostensibly part of MJ-12. And uh, we did a video all about it back in those days. So, um, so actually... Bill Wood didn't ever disclose anything about Project Looking Glass that we didn't already know, and, and he didn't have uh, a lot of the, the detail that Dan Burish had. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't... Uh, so I, what in terms of Q, uh, now Q is kind of a different area because if you want to look at the Q team as having originated as being you know, in theory, whatever you want to call them, but white hats that were, uh, you know, sort of a secret organization be from the time of uh, the assassination of Kennedy and probably before. And, uh, and they are not MJ-12. So there's, you know, there's two organizations there and MJ-12 would have been uh, and was uh, and is uh, a more diabolical uh, side of things although it is split, uh, according to Dan Burish, into the Luciferians on one side, and I'm not sure which what the others would call themselves, <laughs> but it, they fight over whether the, anything should be disclosed. So uh, as far as Looking Glass goes, uh, you know, the technology has been out there for many years, uh, one of the big things was back in the day was uh, when Dan Beers talked about Looking Glass during the year 2012. Uh, they took all the Looking Glass and any similar technologies offline 
uh, because we were going through a certain special area of space, if I understand it, and that um, it, it could interfere uh, with, you know, the earth and, and what was going on here and um, even possibly cause destruction. So in a sense, looking glasses, accessing, uh, I guess you might say Stargate's portal portals going out, uh, getting information. And it's a, it's a kind of a, at this point in time, I think they weren't saying it, but I think it, it, it's most likely a kind of an AI um, because back in those days, they didn't use the term AI. Yeah, I just, <clears throat> I'm, I'm learning a lot about that myself. And it's very interesting to, to learn that all this stuff existed and we were just pretty blindsided with all this technology that is in our world that they hid from us, free energy. and That's right. There was a, I was watching, a, you did a, you guys had a conference for Robert Dean. Um, I, I absolutely love that. Um, how he was explaining, he says, we are, <clears throat> we aren't just property of other beings. We are quarantined and under trusty ship, waking up and realizing who we are. I found that very interesting. And he's a very knowledgeable man. And I'm sure you had some pretty good times and talks with him. Yeah. Bob Dean was fabulous. Um, we became very good friends. Uh, I guess sort of a father-daughter relationship, if you will. And uh, I found good friends with his wife, Marsha Schaefer, who I interviewed as well. Um, and she had had a, a lot of her own ET experiences. But Bob was a very special individual. Um, and he, yes, uh, we we actually, you know, I did conferences in which he spoke. And I also attended conferences where he spoke. And uh and so we, we hung out whenever the opportunity, I guess, presented itself over the years. And I was very sorry uh, when he passed on. Yeah, sorry to hear that. He seemed like a very um, spiritual, intact individual with a lot of knowledge. And those are the people that I kind of attract to. And what really, really uh, caught my attention, he says, you know, every time I do these conferences, he says... These, like, well, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but the ETs, he says, they're in the audience. He says, every time at a conference, there's three, two, they're, they're always here. And they come up to me after the show, and I was like, oh, wow. He's like, they're around you all over the place. And it's just amazing. I think it's a time in our world now where um, a lot of us are open and able to accept that that's a truth of a reality. Yes. I mean, uh, I have to say the same thing happens to me and I can recognize them. Uh, ones that I feel are, um, sometimes they really are like literally just visiting and sometimes they're just human hybrids that are, um, what I say kind of, uh, recent hybrids. So they tend to have, uh, sort of their memories are more sort of front and center. Uh, and, and they're, you know, always uh, fascinating individuals. I, I mean, there can be all kinds. There can be positive, there can be negative. You know what I'm saying? So 
Um, but I have met several of them myself and, uh, and sometimes they also appear to be walk-ins. So, you know, temporary taking over a body, um, actually at the recent Yelm conference, uh, I had an interaction with two individuals that both myself and, um, my partner who was there with me, uh, both thought were, uh, and if they weren't just using the humans uh, bodies or, uh, or whether they, you know, come and go or, or what their situation was, but it was definitely, you know, an ET interaction. Wow. It was, it's, it, you know, it was not a normal human interaction. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Um, and they, I- they, they express a lot of support for my work uh, in, in many cases. I also have Illuminati members uh, that come up secretly, you know, attend and come up out of the audience afterwards and compliment me um, sort of very quietly and let me know that they're watching and they support me. And those would be, I guess you might say, positively oriented Illuminati. Oh, wow. So there's uh, some good in some of them, huh? Oh, yeah. You know, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, we call them the Illuminati, but they basically, I mean, you would imagine they grow up in an, what what's known as an Illuminati bloodline. And uh, they are taught all the sort of basic occult knowledge, et cetera. And in some cases, uh, they do what I call defecting. Uh, some, you know, the, individuals like that have to be very careful. Sometimes they're just, um, they're kind of, you might say, more covert operators so in essence they wouldn't be known to be uh sympathetic to someone like me and my work but um uh, that's all i can tell you you know i don't know a great deal about them i simply know that they do come up to me uh it, it is clear what they are i'm very um a psychic intuitive i get a lot of information non-verbally and and when i interact with people and um, so, you know, you could say, well, there's no proof or something like that. But it doesn't really matter if I get what I get. You know what I'm saying? And and I, it's not like I can argue with it or argue about it. it it's simply the information that comes through at the time when I'm inter- interacting with, whether it be a, an individual that I feel is an ET. Um, one time I met a Pleiadian uh, oh, woman. Oh, I like the Pleiadians. And and she ha- she was there with a handler. Uh, th- they were keeping us uh, sort of physically away from her, but it, she, I could tell the but by the way she looked at me and sort of non-verbally was communicating with me that she was not from here. Wow. She was human. She was a very lovely uh, woman, and um, it was very early in the early days of Camelot. Very early on. Well, yeah, the Pleiadians, for some reason, I'm attracted to the Pleiadians and the uh, Andromedans. Right. And I had, I've, you know, I've said this story many times, so I don't need to repeat the whole thing. But I would just say, you know, I was visited one night, all night by um, a little old man that sat by my bed in a chair. He didn't abduct me or did anything. He just came to visit. and um, And he talked to me all night long. And then at the very end. I was coming back to this uh, consciousness and I said, 
wait a minute, wait a minute. And I, I guess I had told myself to ask, I, I think I'd been visited. I get visited a lot, but anyways, to find out where this, these, this being and his group were from. And he said Andromeda. Oh, wow. And then I came to, so it was, and then later when Alex um, Collier came forward and talked about these two Andromedans, one of them was indeed this little old bald, bald haired man. Uh, <laughs> And well, and I often thought that it was pro- it might have been the same man. Yeah, that's how I learned about the Andromedans from Alex Collier, and wow, it's amazing how they 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 watch over us and uh, they want to see us <laughs> evolve, which hopefully we will one day um, once we can settle our differences and start loving on each other. Well. Um, I have a little bit different philosophy about this kind of thing uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, a lot of us are obviously we're all ETs in, you know, if you want to call it that star people, whatever you want to call it. Um, some of us are more indigenous to earth than others have been here longer, that kind of thing. But uh, ultimately uh, we all come from the stars and uh, various races were a we're a hybrid race of many. We've been invaded many times. I always recommend uh, people that want to know what I'm talking about when I say that is to read the Ashiana Dean Voyager books. And those are linked on the front page of Camelot. Uh, I think they're both, I think they're both available now as eBooks or at least one's an eBook and one's um, might be available as a paperback. I'm not sure, but um there's one of them in particular uh, talks about all of the wars of worlds that have been going on for eons uh, out in space and involving the earth as well. And some of our wars on earth or most are ET um, have an ET origin, you might say. So uh, even what's going on now. So what we're talking about is um, I don't, subscribe to the idea that humans, you know, are a a warlike race and all this nonsense. Um, As far as I'm concerned, I, I go along with Ashana Dean. Uh, She once said that this, what we're basically have here is a, a kind of an experiment to download into all, all the different beings here are all representative of all the different star races out there. And we're, as I say, hybrids of those races. So what the experiment is to see if we can get along because those races have never gotten along. So we're a mirror of them. And and so, yes, uh, we're here to be part of this, uh, you could call it an experiment or whatever, in which we're all on sharing one planet together. So if you can kind of think of it like that, um, I think you might have a, a it, it's a bit deeper understanding of what we're really a part of. Most definitely. And I heard a lot of, uh, a lot of that very similar to what you said. And uh, some people just kind of have to open up their, <laughs> their, uh, their mind and themselves to understand the truth. And uh, the truth will be told one of these days. <laughs> Well, we're we're working on telling it every day, but I, yeah. I know, uh, I guess you mean by the so-called authorities. Uh, I think, you know, the bottom line is that because as long as the negative side is in charge, uh, what when they, you know, basically open their mouth, they're lying. So 
they're never going to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And even this latest disclosure effort is already um, tons of lies are coming out. So it's, um, you know, it's, I, I would love to see it coming out. I, I would love humans to be able to be more open and aware and even acknowledging their, you know, their ET heritage with other races of beings out there. Uh, you know, I, I think it's perfectly natural for worlds to interact and, and various beings to interact and acknowledge that. So it's, it, it surprises me actually, even to this day that there's so much, um, so much that it's a secret at all. It doesn't seem like a secret to me. Seems normal that we would be here with all different races. I don't know why it seems normal to me, but it does. Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, come to a time where they got to realize that I think people are to the point to where they can accept the truth. I will move on to the next question. Um, what are some of the things, <clears throat> interesting things that you learned from interviewing whistleblowers that worked in the secret space program? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I wrote a book that I tried to cover a lot of the topics uh, in my book, uh, which is called Rebel Gene. And it's all, the reason I called it Rebel Gene is because uh, it's based on the idea that Enki and Enlil <clears throat> were brothers, uh, you know, the Anunnaki, and that they interfered with our genome at a certain point. They were just one of the invading uh, races, actually. But, and they actually came, this was relatively recently in terms of human time on planet earth. But at any rate, um, I named it rebel gene because it was said that there were two divisions of humanity back in those days. And one was in, Enlil was in charge of one and he was based in the middle East and they were more uh, what's called administrators and they would follow orders. Whereas Enki allowed his races that were in Africa to have more freedom as a result, they developed more self-reliance and, uh, and, and rebellion. So that's where the rebel gene comes in. And I basically said, and I say today that, the, you know, without the rebel gene, um, you need to activate your rebel gene and then understand that we are not, um, we are not to be ruled by other races, period. So um, we're not to worship them. We're not to be ruled by them. And uh, so if you have a rebel gene, you understand what I mean. If you haven't activated, I mean, everyone has access to these kinds of genes, but you have to activate it. So there are a lot of people with unactivated, you know, you know, these people, the kind of people that are even right now, they just go into lockstep with whatever they're, ever they're told. They yep. are too afraid to rebel. They just follow orders. Um, our society is full of these kinds of people. Wow. And your book, could your book be purchased on projectcamelot.com or? It, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's actually projectcamelotportal.com, projectcamelot.tv or projectcamelot.org. They all go to the same place. And it, yes, you can find it on the right-hand side margin. Uh, you can click on it. It takes you to Amazon. You can buy it on Amazon as a Kindle or a paperback. I'm definitely going to get that book because uh, knowledge is. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. A lot of people really like it. I'll say that. It does have five stars. We do have some trolls in there, but basically, you know, 
it's gotten five stars and, and lots of one wonderful comments. So I did work on it for two years. It is a summation of most, not everything, because it's almost impossible. You know, I cover so much stuff to do that. But I did the best I could in, you know, uh, trying to basically distill everything down so people could have sort of a, a handbook of, uh, of all this stuff that's come through Camelot. Uh, right now, I'm actually working on another book, which is um, I make uh, and it may be a series of books, but it's the Mark Richards interviews. So with Captain Mark Richards, I'm now putting those into a book. And um, that's quite a job. <laughs> but is any of the gentleman you talked? Uh, I think I watched the video where you spoke that he was um, falsely put in jail. Um Yes, that's yeah. right. He, he's in he's in prison. He's been in prison for over 35 years. He was imprisoned. He was framed for a murder he did not commit. And as you know, what he really was framed for supposedly was from being a mastermind of that murder. So he, he wasn't actually the perpetrator. That was another guy who's also in prison. Um, actually, it was a, a, a few guys, a few young guys that did the murder claimed that he told them to do the murder or something, you know, that he was a mastermind. So in reality, um, it was in a complete frame up and I've, there is a, there are some, you know, pages on my website. Um, I have this uh, investigator who's what you call it, a former CIA uh, NSA knock non-acknowledged cover agent who got burned, you know, the burn notice that agents get sometime. Well, he's a financial knock, but at any rate, he's a very good investigator. So he assisted me in his, in investigating um, the story of the murder and the court cases and, you know, court case and, and, you know, what a farce that was and so on and so forth. So we have aggregated quite a bit of information about that um, on one of the Mark Richards interviews. I forget which one it was. Uh, but I've done 12 interviews with him uh, and they're all it's they're part of what I call the total recall series. And the reason I call it total recall is because I, I, I'm not uh, he, he's not allowed to be interviewed by journalists and uh, official journalists. You know, I, I am an official journalist, but in, they, they don't Oprah at one time wanted to interview him and she wasn't allowed. They, you know, because he is, they don't want him talking to anybody in that capacity. So I go in as a so-called friend. I'm not allowed to take notes or have a recording device or any of that stuff. I can take notes with a tiny little pencil and some little ripped pieces of paper. And so that's the only only sort of aids I have. So that's I called it total recall because when I leave the prison, I, I usually talk to him for uh, two hours or more and I just pepper him with questions nonstop. He answers me and I remember everything. And then when I walk outside, I get a recording device and I talk into it for like an hour or two, just getting everything down that I just heard. And then I transcribe it and then I I do a then I go on in front of a camera and, and talk about, you know, the whole interview. So I, I do a, a total recall on camera as well, but I also have notes that accompany the interview uh, so that you can, you know, look at written notes as well. So each one is quite involved. It's been doing, I, I can't believe to say, but I have 12 of them over the last um, six years, I think it is five, six years. 
I tell you one thing, I wouldn't want Oprah to interview me <laughs> me either. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, another thing I want to bring up before I forget, um is it Sean Morton? Yes, yeah, Sean David Morton. Is there any way that we can um could you please um explain to the audience, the members to get an understanding about him, what he's going through, and how could we help to um, contribute to help him? Well, it's it's very complex. You know, what has happened is, I and let me say, first of all, that I've known Sean for, um, for a long time. <laughs> I don't know how many years now. At least six, probably around 16 years. The same length as, as the time I was in Camelot. Because I think I met him right before or after I got into Camelot, um, created Camelot. So, uh, but Sean is a, you know, he's a psychic intuitive. Uh, he was very, he's been quite well known worldwide as, as a psychic. He, he did this thing where he, um, he would read maps using his hands and then tell what future events he would see. And he's been very accurate over the years. So, um, and, and he's also been a television producer, uh, a broadcaster, and, uh, he's kind of a personality. He's also a comedian. He actually goes on stage, you know, at comedy clubs and does comedy cause he's really funny. And, uh, so he's quite a talented guy. He grew up in a, um, a family that was very sort of involved in the Hollywood world. His father owned a club or ran a club. In, uh, I think it was down in, um, uh, it was at, it was in Southern California. I forget exactly the city, um, escaping me now, but anyway, um, down there anyway. And, uh, so as a consequence, and his mother, uh, was, uh, you know, had written books on, on healing cancer and su- such. And so they were quite an unusual, uh, couple. And he had uh, a lot of astronauts uh, that came to his house when he was a kid that he hung out with, all the famous astronauts, Buzz Aldrin and and such, and also various Hollywood stars and so on and so forth. So he kind of grew up in that milieu for a certain period of his youth. He also had a very strange situation in which his mother was something of a fanatic. And strangely, though, she wrote books about curing cancer, I think it was, but she died of, I think, cancer. But I think that they, they, they might have killed her. But at any rate, um, she was, I guess, a religious fanatic. So she would make him, when he was a young child, read the Bible and study the Bible before he could go out and play. So he had to do that every single day. So he has, he has like this um, amazing mind. And he also studied with... Um, he studied with these wise men in in Egypt, uh, having to do with uh, you know the, the whole occult knowledge that goes back to the days of uh, even the Anunnaki and so on um, in Egypt. And then he also studied uh, in India with uh, I don't know I I don't know if it was a particular yogi or what, but he studied that sort of thing as well. So he had a very unusual upbringing. And then eventually he, you know, became this sort of known personality. He's also famous. You know, I have, have these two recent interviews he did while he just got out of jail. In January, they let him out of jail temporarily. We thought he, it was, you know, for good. 
But then they took in May, they came back and got him and uh, put him or maybe it was April. Uh, yeah, I think it was April. Um, they came back and got him and, and put him back in, in prison and they've been torturing him. You know, he's technically a white collar. He's the crime they, that he's in there for. I'll explain all that. I mean, it's quite an involved story. Let me tell you, he got involved in helping prisoners and helping regular people to uh, basically um, become sov- sort of sovereigns for a while. And he also uh, got involved in what's called, you know, currency trading and uh, predicting what was going to happen with the currencies. And um, I even joined his group back in those days. This is quite a long time ago now. Um, I'm not even sure how many years, maybe, I don't know if think it's 10 years, but it could be something like seven years or something. But at any rate, he and his wife were involved in this group that had, um, it was based in Canada trading currencies. And so one weekend over Thanksgiving, um, he gave instructions about what he said was going to happen. And the guy who worked there didn't do what he said and left the positions open. If you, you know, know anything about this type of stuff. And, uh, and basically the whole thing went through the floor, even though everyone had been making money. So then he was, then they tried to sue him. The SEC tried to sue him for some kind of financial fraud, but he wasn't really guilty. And they, so they put him in, they gave him a trial that wasn't a trial. Cause he also, I, I he also has, um, he's just got this incredible mind. So he used to help prisoners get out of jail by helping them with their cases. Like he, he studied to almost studied to be a lawyer. It would appear, but he also can defend himself. So when he did the case um, against the SEC, well, the SEC did case against him and his wife, they, um, they, they wouldn't let him defend himself. So every time he stood up to say anything, even though he was his own lawyer, they would uh, force him to sit back down and shut up. And the, de- the judge would tell him to shut up. So it was basically a, uh, even an illegal trial, but they wanted to get him into jail because, and shut him up because he's written these books, which are from a whistleblower. So the whistleblower was, uh, so Sean became known because he was on hard copy and these other early television shows back, you know, this is, we're talking maybe almost 20 years ago now. Um, in TV when they used to do shows on like area 51 and various things. Well, he's one of the first people who ever brought John Lear, for example, to area 51 and, and he knows all of this stuff. And he also has an incredible number of, uh, intelligence agents and contacts. You know, you understand that he was in this world. So he was doing what I do. you, You could say all those years ago. Okay. And so he has like a library in his head all about this. He knew, he knows, you know, he knew everyone. I mean, he just was one of those kind of people that just knew everyone in the sector. And um, so I came along and Project Camelot, we came along, you know, later in the game, really by his standards, but we became great friends. So we used to hang out together all the time, me, him and Bill Ryan in the early days of Camelot. And with his wife as well, we were great friends. So, um, in fact, I even got one my cat from Sean. They raised Norwe- Norwegian forest cats, or they did back then. Anyway, so they were both framed. They were 
thrown, thrown in jail. His wife got out earlier or than he did. He, they kept in jail. Um, he was in jail for, uh, not jail, prison for the last, uh, I think it was three and a half, maybe almost four years. Uh, I've interviewed him from when he was in prison. We did 15 minute interviews uh, from time to time. I have correspondence from him. So he has a blog on my website called Sean's, you know, Sean David Martin blog. So it's under guest blogs. So if you go to, I think it's the top margin, I mean, top menu, you'll see an item that says blogs and then Sean's one, one of them. So there's a ton of information all about his case, all about everything. Okay. Cause he likes to write and he's a very prolific writer as well. At any rate, a whistleblower approached him a few years ago, maybe that again, something like five years ago or more, and had basically had been the story goes, his name was a fake name called Ted Henry. But what he did is is the whistleblower himself, in theory, didn't approach Sean, but he knew Sean, knew of Sean. But he had his lawyer. Okay, so supposedly he died, but before he died, he told his lawyer to bring these stories and these materials to Sean. And the orders that Sean received was he still needed to protect his wife and children, but he wanted the story out and he wanted Sean to put it into a fictional book. So Sean has been writing these books. It's called Sands of Time. I highly recommend it. Wonderful, wonderful books. Um containing a tremendous amount of truth about the early days of area 51 and the secret space program and you name it. And it all, it's all true. Okay. So it contains truth. So the thing is, but he put it in term, terms of fiction and he did a very good job. I have to say, I think in the early days he actually had a co-writer, but that person, I think they didn't get along and then that person split. So at any rate, it, it's these are Sean's books, uh, Sands of Times. There, there were three that he published before they put him in prison. He was about to publish the fourth. So now he was going to actually publish it or very soon in the next, um, you know, six months or something. And we think that this is why they actually came back and got him anyway. Also, because he was on my show twice before they picked him up this time around. And we did these fabulous interviews, uh, which go on for at least two hours and highly recommend them. They're on my website um, in which he, he, you know, he's typical Sean. And he, he just, I asked him, I don't know. We just got this idea. I, I decided I was going to ask him about his early days with area 51 and all this kind of stuff. So we go into that. What and then there's that? another one in which we, we talk about um, the Kennedy family and John F. Kennedy Jr. and and everything. What about the one when he was uh, disagreeing that Ronald Savin is not JFK Jr.? I watched that one. That's yeah, that's the one with on on the Kennedy family. Yeah, that was a good one. And he I has like met Ronald Savin in person, just as I have. But he met I, him years ago, like twenty years ago. I like what you said on David Nino Rodriguez, and I agree with you. I think he is too. I've gotten, um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but for those listening, you know, I've been getting people writing to me ever since I did that. And oh. now I have, I have even more proof <laughs> and it's not, it's on the page. So if you, you know, want to have fun, just go to the page. Um, the interview is still, it's on my website and it's, you know, just, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. 
So that's my David David Rodriguez. He he basically surprised me. I had no idea. I thought we were going to talk about this other, you know, this case actually of Mark McCandlish. And out of the blue, he starts asking me about JFK Jr. So I just decided, well, fuck it. I'll just answer. You know. <laughs> oh, I love you, kid. Wow. The booth are dead giveaway for me. <laughs> Uh, well, they say, you know, there's quite, I mean, even from the knee to the foot, the measurement is accurate, you know, like that, that would be accurate, but they are around the same height, uh, apparently both bound six, one, six, two. And uh, there's a lot of, there's so many synchronicities and I mean, I didn't get in trouble, but um, let's just say that since then, 107 is not talking to me very much. He claims oh, to be quote unquote busy, but I don't know if he's pissed off or scared or what the fuck, but Oh well, I better stop talking about it then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there I mean I'm not the only one that was outing him, you know what I'm saying? Uh actually before I did that, Prime, I guess you know Prime, you know, Prime Minister. Yep. Yeah, and he and and Kelly Ann had come out with their own stuff, which I say in the interview, of course, um, they had compiled a bunch of stuff. And one of them was my interview where I just the very beginning of my interview with Juan Savin. And by the way, he won't let me interview him either. But we've already discussed that. Um, I mean, the reality is that he, you know, doesn't want to be asked the kind of questions I ask. OK, so. I so. Like <laughs> reach whatever conclusion you want from that as well. You know, in other words, whatever, but I believe, see, I wouldn't have done it. I would have just said nothing except that in my dealings with him. Uh, I just, I think there are some very clear signs that he does want to come forward under his own, you know, name and face and all of that. Um, it's so complex as to, you know, him being in the witness protection, you know, and all this kind of thing and trying to protect his, um, his wife, Carolyn, who, although I, I'm not sure they're still together and his kids and all this kind of thing. So, um, you know, it, whatever. Yep. <laughs> um, back to Sean. Sorry for. No worries. Uh, that was a great show I did with Sean because in that, you know, the show I did on the Kennedys with Sean, he actually says he talked to Elvis and that Elvis is still alive. Oh, yeah. And then he been doesn't hearing... even believe it, but it. He said he ta- sounded just like Elvis, and uh, he also talked to Jim Morrison. And <laughs> oh, Rush Limbaugh. Well, I don't. He never said that. I've heard people say that. I actually don't think that's true. That doesn't resonate with me, but I could be wrong. You know, I, that's just my my feeling. Yeah, there's a lot of that going around. But I've also saw some of the Elvis pictures of the, I can't remember the name of the pastor, but wow. Um, the voice sounds the same. They, they look alike and wow, it's crazy. Yeah, I never saw that. It's Pastor Bob. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess I haven't, you know, I haven't surfed around on that. But I do believe a Diana is still alive. And I believe that, you know, JFK Jr., Diana, Michael Jackson, um, various ones are going to come up, come out in front of, you know, people eventually. 
I just wish it would happen sooner rather than later. I agree. You know, we have lots of talks on here about that. And, you know, when you really think about it, if you want to bring down the cabal and these evil entities, you can't be on the outside looking in. You would have to be in the center. So it makes sense why some of the deaths had to been um, created to get them out of the situation and give all the information needed to bring down such an evil I don't even know what you want to call them. I mean, they're obviously not human to do what they did to society. Right. Well, some of them are basically taken over. Yeah. And, and run by alien, you know, some reptilians basically and others. Yep. Is there any way that um, we can contribute to uh, help, Sean's cause is I know he's in there and he's got cancer and um yeah and it's awful um you know that recently I I don't know if you saw my recent update but I put it on the front page I you know so you can go to my website again projectcamelotportal.com or projectcamelot.tv or projectcamelot.org and uh basically you can see the interview um I mean the the post I made all about uh, Sean and he recently had written this thing to his wife Melissa, who I'm in touch with, and she sends stuff along and stays in touch. So on that page are you know is uh you know his email address where you can write if you have anything that you think can help, if you know a lawyer you know that might wants to help, and so on and so forth. They supposedly have a lawyer. Uh, they did raise a little money to pay the guy or something. But then the guy went, I don't know the story, if the story is accurate, but he went on vacation. <laughs> and then, you know, so now we're waiting to see what's going to happen. I mean, apparently he did nothing wrong. He was actually getting the best care he could, which is through Cedar sinai Hospital here in Los Angeles, which is highly respected as being one of the best hospitals in the United States. And um, he was you know, he was also doing a tremendous amount of alternative type healing and his cancer was being healed. He was actually making incredible progress. He was getting chemo, uh, but, but not a lot of it. And now then they took him all of a sudden overnight, they threw him back in prison and they put him in solitary confinement. Now you only do that. You're not even supposed to do that. I don't think with a, a what you call a white collar criminal. They don't, Normally, you don't normally hear about that, but for 32 days, he's been in solitary confinement. They are trying to torture him to death. They really are. And they, during those 32 days, he had no, no treatment. So his treatment, cancer treatment was suspended. So now it's back or something. So it's a really horrible story. Um, I'm very sad about it. I'm very concerned because he's a very good friend and, um, you know, I just, I mean, he's such a wonderful uh, guy. I'm not saying he's not perfect, okay? It's not about him being perfect. It's about him being just a wonderful human being. And he's always worked on behalf of society his whole life. He's tried to, you know, get the truth out and and really help people in every way. And he's, he's a tremendous guy. And, you know, so I'm trying to push whatever levers I can to get him help. 
but if anyone wants to write to her, you know, in essence, the email be it will be read by his wife. So she's the one who has to make decisions, according to Sean. You know, I don't have anything to do with that kind of thing. Uh, but I do my best to put the word out and and get people to know about the cause and and his, the cause of keeping him alive and also the injustice that's being done to him. I mean, in in a you know in a proper world, <laughs> a real world, a true world, um, you know, first of all, this would never happen. But no one should. The Justice Department cannot get away with torturing people like this. And they no. do. He's not the only political prisoner. In essence, he's a political prisoner. Um, Mark Richards is a political prisoner. These people, I mean, and and there are people close to Trump that could probably pull some strings. This is where you get into this really kind of push comes to shove issue with the Trump and his team and the White Hats and all of it and what they're able to do versus what they can't do. Right. And it's it's basically a um, I, I believe it's more or less a, a kind of a standoff. I know a lot of people want to go around and say, oh, we've won this and that. Um, no, I mean, we haven't won because Sean's still in prison. I mean, you know, the evidence is out there, you know, people are still being abducted and killed. And I mean, Mark McCandlish was just, you know, I don't know if you know that story, but he was a wonderful, uh, person trying to build an ARV, uh, a UFO. And, uh, I, all I can tell you is he was just murdered Illuminati style, you know, shotgun to the head. And now wow. they're trying to pretend that he, like he that he killed himself, which he had no reason to kill himself. All his friends have communicated and some of them come to me behind the scenes and basically said, no way did he kill himself. And that's what they always do. There's an Illuminati style of killing people, um, you know, like they did Phil Schneider and and so many other others that I can't even count Um that's what they do. They, you know, it's like Robin Williams. They killed him hanging him from a doorknob or whatever. You know, all of this, these are Illuminati style kills. And uh, Mark Richards was really good friends. He grew up with Robin Williams. Yeah, and he said he would interview. never commit, kill himself either. I haven't saw your interviews with Mark Richards, but I'm definitely going to go on the site and check those out. Great. Yeah, they're, they're, I think they're imp very important. They also, he's the best whistleblower we've ever had as far as I'm concerned. He, he releases more information. He was a, a captain of a Starship Enterprise type vehicle that, you know, in which he, when he was a young man in the secret space program, and his father was in the secret space program, who's called the Dutchman, was very highly respected. Uh, he he's passed on uh, and also his grandfather worked with Tesla. So he, he has a very long history in, you know, what you call, you know, the deep black world. Wow. I'm definitely watch that. And um, the last speaker we had on here is um, a candidate for Congress is Jerome Bell. And I donated a hundred dollars to his campaign. And today I'm going to donate a hundred dollars to Sean's. Oh, that's card. lovely. And I will also go to your page and I'll share that on the wall here. And any, all, every, all you members on here, 
Thank you for joining us. And um, I write on Telegram. You can go to Camelot, Project Camelot, and um, you can go join Carrie's page. Um, a lot of her videos are on there. A lot of the information about Sean's on there. Um, she has her links links to Project Camelot, where you can go on her actual um, website. I know that there's uh, it's under construction, and there's two other links that we can go on to check out your videos as well. Yeah, because I was a few months ago, actually on March uh, 24th, they deleted my uh, YouTube channel that I had over a thousand videos on. Uh, and I've been there for 16 years and they did it overnight with no warning. And um, they did it supposedly over a video that was marked unlisted. So it wasn't even a public video. But they obviously had targeted me. And then less than four days later, my um, I had all my conference footage. I've given conferences for the last 10 years. Was deleted uh, from what's called Vimeo. And they deleted me out of the blue. So the, these companies work together. Uh, so they were working together to take me down. But we um, got ourselves together quickly. And thanks to Odyssey, this um, it's it's called it's really called library L B R Y. Um, it's it's a open source kind of thing that's a you know for videos and but it's the front of it's called Odyssey.com. Anyway, they um, what happened was it was a serendipity because I had been looking for a platform because I knew psychically I knew and it was also so obvious that sooner or later with all the censorship on YouTube. I was playing cat and mouse with them always for the last two years and trying to avoid being deleted. And uh, then they, they finally, you know, dropped the hatchet, as I say, you know, just a few months ago. So we had to scramble to get everything online. So we're still working on our version of the library, but Odyssey, because it's just a serendipity, I signed up with them. I forgot that I even did. And, you know, because nothing was happening at that point and several months ago before I got deleted. And what they did for people, not just me, is they actually, I don't know how they did this or or even, you know, what, what the situation was. But they went in and saved our channels. And they they basically scooped up all our videos, except they missed the ones that are what you call un unlisted which there was quite a number unlisted recent ones because whenever I had a video that I knew YouTube wouldn't like, I was making them unlisted and then I would put the unlisted link and embed it in my website, right? So it wouldn't be visible on my YouTube channel, but it would be visible on my website. And I kept telling people, go to my website for my work, go to my, because I knew sooner or later they were going to delete me because especially the last year and a half over COVID I've interviewed so many doctors and done so many shows on that. Um, and, and everything you said, it doesn't matter what you said, they wanted to delete you over it. So. Well, come on, you're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I'm a conspiracy fact person. Yeah, there you go. Conspiracy fact. You know what I saw on your Camelot on your telegram and it talked about how COVID was linked to a bioweapon from the aliens? Yes. Well, it's, okay, the AI, it's an alien AI, okay, that's trying to take over the planet. And that's linked to the Communist Chinese Party, okay, the 
the Chinese oh. Communist Party, CCP. And they are associated with the, the greys that basically do the bidding of the reptilians. So what happens is they have more or less taken over Chinese society, but especially the top, you know, CCP. And so this is where all of this comes from. And, you know, I've done interviews. First of all, there's a whole history of China planning to take over the United States. And I even had dreams about it. And um, then I, Cyrus Parsa, I don't know if you remember, I've interviewed him. He's an expert on AI. And he also had talked about this. So we both got the same information. So that was kind of cool that, you know, the information I got psychically also because I had been talking to Mark Richards. See, Mark, Captain Mark Richards knows a whole lot about AI and about various alien races. So we had been talking about all of these kinds of things before any of this happened. And, um, at any rate, so because I learned about alien AI, see, most people, they think, okay, there's human-derived AI, like we're, we're building our own AI, right? Yeah. Like supposedly Sophia. But, you know, the Sophia is a citizen of, the, of Saudi Arabia. You know, she's an AI. Yeah. Um, and I've interviewed this wonderful whistleblower on AI um, whose name is David Adair, and I highly recommend his interviews. Uh, so anyway, um, just saying that what happens is COVID is a bioweapon that was created in part in the United States at Fort Detrick. Then it was moved to China, to Wuhan. Then then they in, they put in some the bat DNA and various other things and basically concocted this bioweapon. And um, then how they administered it, we are not even sure. You could say maybe aerosol, maybe through scalar. Uh, technology. But uh, that's the bottom line. So what we're talking about is they then focused on certain population groups, like in Italy, the Lombardy area of Italy, where they had a big outbreak. And your reaction to being invaded by nano AI, these this nano, is actually to have, you know, um, you know, this, what they call the cytokine storm, you're, you get all congested. It's because you have so much nano in your body and it's tr taking you over. So sorry to say this, but it's a transhuman agenda. What it is, is like, I don't know if you watch the Borg, you know, I'm not even a big Star Trek fan, but I happen to see that piece. And I know that the Borg is like, this is basically an alien AI and it wants to take over the earth. And that's also the desire of the Chinese. So the Chinese are being helped by an alien race to do this. And of course, COVID's part of it. Now the Illuminati are also in on it, of course, and they have their own agenda along these lines. So this is what's going on. I mean, I've written lots of articles. I've done interviews about this subject. Um, most people I've I've been, I've gone to both the biological and the you know scientific and the alien and the you know I cover everything. I don't like I don't say there's something off limits. That makes me different kind of researcher than most out there. Most researchers out there specialize in a certain area. I cover anything and everything that pertains to 
the truth. And that's why I gravitate to watching your videos. <laughs> I'm honored mm -hmm. to be on here. I I know you're a busy person. I don't want to keep you going. I will be donating a hundred dollars to Sean. I did have a question. Would you be open to one question per member? How how many members do you have? <laughs> well, there's forty four, and usually only several hand hands will be waved. Well, I'll take a few questions if that's what the question you're asking. I can't take forty questions. I'll be here all night, but. No. I'll take yeah, a few questions me. and and then I do have to get going. But go ahead. Yeah, just let me know when you're uh, when you're you're done. Um, Jen H, you want to start off? Hey, Carrie, I'm over here chuckling to myself. I'm like, well, I could probably ask her forty myself. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, gosh, I mean, Carrie, you're amazing. You're a wealth of knowledge. I mean, I I I do have a list of like three questions here, but. Um, I just already bought your book and subscribed to your channel. So thank you for your work. Just, you know, to kind of, I, I don't know what even people know about you. And I don't really even know your backstory. Who are you? And how did you get to this? And truly, this is a genuine question. How are you still alive? I mean, I know that's the grace of God, but your life has had to have been threatened repeatedly, I would guess. So if you could just give us a little synopsis of who you are and how you got into this, you know, that'd be fantastic. Okay, sure. Uh, now, part of the reason I wrote my book was to talk about that part, because I don't normally do that very, once in a while, people ask me more, you know, sort of background questions about me, but it's not that often. So I thought I would put stuff in a book. But just to summarize it quickly, uh, since I was a child, I, um, I was abducted when I was young and I knew I was being abducted. I was dealing with uh, unseen beings from unseen realms. I was at sea ghosts. I also was quite psychic and I had a recurring nightmare that happened to me like, I don't know, between the ages of something like seven and 11 or 12 and which I would hear this loud buzzing sound. I would start to go out my front door. This is when I'm sleeping. And I, I would go down what was a picket, you know, a, 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 you know, cobblestone or whatever kind of pathway to a picket fence, a white picket fence. And the closer I got to the fence, the more loud the thing would get. And then I was terrified. And then um, there would be a man standing on the other side of the fence that I was scared of that wore a top cat, a top hat and a big coat one of those overcoats like, and um, anyway, that was the recurring dream. And then finally one night I actually decided to go through the gate, you know, the, of the, uh, on the fence and then it stopped. Um, and I, you know, back in those days, I mean, I'm not going to say exactly how old I am, but I'm old, you know, older than I look. So I, um, you know, I, I, I saw, for example, I saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and I thought, oh, my God, that's so wonderful. Now everyone in the world is going to know exactly what's happening. That's what I thought when I first saw that movie. And I just thought, oh, my God, it's out there. Now they're going to talk about it, you know, because I knew there was aliens. I knew there were ships, all this kind of thing. And to my surprise, that was, you know, that's not what happened. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I... 
I kind of, I probably decided then and there I wanted to make movies like that to, to reveal the truth about what was going on. So eventually I made my way to Hollywood. And before that, I lived in New York City and studied acting and directing. And then I moved to Hollywood uh, and I worked for all kinds of companies and became what call a reader. And then eventually I did development and I sort of moved up the ladder, but I couldn't get like high enough on the ladder to where I could get my own projects done. And so then eventually there was like a downturn in Hollywood. I think there might've been a strike or whatever. And I went to Jet Propulsion Lab to um, as a contractor in media. And so then I, I, I worked there and consulted them in media. And um, it was quite fun and interesting to work around the space program and stuff. And then uh, I was working on screenplays, writing my own screenplays at the time. And eventually I, I met Bill Ryan. Uh, I, I started going to UFO conferences thinking that I would make a documentary. So I picked up a consumer grade camcorder and decided to make documentaries. And one of my first documentary interviews was with uh, Bill Ryan, who had been representing the Serpo.org project. And so that was like 16, almost 17 years ago. 2005 is when I first picked up the consumer grade camcorder. I did other interviews as well at that time. Uh, but Bill and I hit it off. And that's when we went to Tintagel, the England, the former home of King Arthur, decided to create a project, decided to call it Project Camelot. That we couldn't just call it Camelot because there was a zillion websites on the internet with Camelot in the name. So, but their secret projects almost always have this name, you know, put project before or after it. So that's why we named it Project Camelot. And I was writing a screenplay called Project Moondust at the time, and so on. So anyway, that's a real short version. Um, I, I think that covers it. I, I, you know, I have. Uh, gone to college. I have a BA in English and I studied, I did graduate work in sociology at Sonoma State University in Northern California. Um, that was before I ever went to Hollywood. I also went to film. I, I got into NYU film school as a director, decided to study directing and acting with the uh, private teacher in Carnegie Hall called Robert X. Modica, who is a famous uh, student of, of Sanford Meisner. This is for people that know acting and, and all of that. So I studied acting and directing. And, uh, you know, like I say, I was on the road to try to make my own movies, eventually went to work in Hollywood, had very, had a lot of trouble getting through the glass ceiling. I also, I couldn't, you know, you have to kiss ass a lot in Hollywood to get promoted. And I, I've always been a rebel my whole life. Um, I've always, I, in fact, when I was a kid, I used to get in trouble for talking back to teachers. <laughs> so um, I, and I used to talk back to my parents as well. So I haven't really changed at all. <laughs> I always questioned everything. It's just my, I'm, I have this rebel gene. It's just the way I am. I can't, you know. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I know that that was probably way more than you expected, but thank you for that. And I will look forward to reading your book. And clearly, I mean, it is, you know, you're, you're gifted and called to do what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Texas girl. Carrie, I'm going to send you a private email. I work for a law firm as well. And 
we would like to donate our time and services to help your friends. Oh, fabulous. So I will send you a private message and thank you for all your work, sweetie. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. Intuitive. Yes. Hi, Carrie. I'm a huge fan. Over the years, you have red peeled the shit out of me. And thank you so much for that. <laughs> um, just, yeah, it's, you're amazing. Your work is amazing. I just want to thank you for um, all you've done for the, 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 the community. Uh, my, my only question here, because uh, you pretty much answered all of them, is um, um, have you kept up with Ashiana Dean? Um, do you plan on maybe possibly, if you can, um, get an, uh, an interview with her possibly or to talk more about it? Because those, those sets of videos were they rocked my world in a good way obviously that's just my only question yes uh i i did you know uh i i i you know care a lot about ashiana dean i form quite a, a connection to her i um have to say that i haven't heard from her in quite some time now uh i was supposed to actually meet her um but it never materialized it, you know, in the last year when we've had this horrible COVID thing. Um, and I have always had, you know, an ongoing thing where she's always invited to come back and be interviewed again. And she did say someday she would, but up until now she hasn't uh, taken me up on that offer. And um now I, I haven't even heard back from her. So I don't know what's up with that, um, you know, but I would love to obviously hear more from her, hear more from her, you know, the guardian races that she downloads information from. It would be wonderful to get more. Uh, you know, when she wrote her books, there's only two books. Well, there's a few other books, but there's no books like those that are downloaded directly from the guardians to my knowledge. She does continue to do these uh, conferences of her own uh, that people can, you know, go to her website, which is, uh, you know, it's it's all linked on my website, so you can go over there. Um, I think you say it, our high high yes, um, is is how you say that. Anyway, she had a split in her original Azerite group. Uh, I don't know if you, you know, it goes back in history now, many years and stuff. And she had lawsuits and all kind of crazy stuff had to go on. But uh, when I was in India with her, I did um, find that I was downloading information from the guardians myself because she would be telling us stuff and I would have, I was getting it before she would say it. And I had some very psychic experiences along the way. Cause I, I did go, um, on a tour of India with her and her group that happened in a very sort of serendipitous way. Um, so what can I say? I, you know, I got it. Um, when I first, uh, this is before Camelot, I came across her website and the guardian information. I, as a psychic intuitive, I get, you know, stuff instantly. So it's not like something, you know, that I think about or plan about or anything. When I get this stuff, it comes immediately. It's like, you know, in a split second. So I immediately knew that that was, you know, like very important, true information. And I, you know, and so I, I vowed that I would interview her someday. And I had the same thing happened with Captain Mark Richards. I, I heard, I saw something on the internet that his wife had written and saw that she was being, um, you know, 
basically treated really badly on the internet, but I got a take immediately that he was the real thing. And I, I vowed then, and I wasn't in Camelot, I wasn't an interviewer back then, although I had been trained as a journalist. So in college, I did interviews and I, I did to, you know, wrote articles, but I never knew I was going to be doing this job that I do. Um, and so what happened was I got the same take on Mark Richards that someday I would interview him. And I'm, you know, very happy to say that it came true. So I get instantaneous stuff. And when I get those things, it's just amazing. And, and I got it about her and the guardians. Absolutely. I'm a psychic and intuitive as well. And I know exactly what you mean when you get those, those downloads. Uh, thank you so much, Carrie, for all that you do and for uh, spending some time with us today. I really appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Hey, Carrie. Um, yeah, I've watched your videos over the years. And um, for me, you've been confirmations on what I've known. And um, to see it out in the public, which, which is what you're so amazing at, has been really freeing <laughs> because a lot of it was behind the scenes or hidden and um, you've created a time that people can actually talk about these things. So um, I, enjoy, I enjoy your uh, interview style of <laughs> what you say. The <laughs> I see it slightly different. I see it that you have come to this time, as you know, um, being from other origins, that you're learning their ways and you're learning why you should do it their way and you're also trying to find the truth of what you are and what they are and bring a middle ground so you can teach, so you can show people what's going on. So I just want to ask you, I know that future proves past, so what made you um, call your organisation Project Camelot? Um, okay, well, I've told this story a lot, but uh, basically what happened when I went to Tintagel and met Bill Ryan, um, because I had interviewed him about the Serpo project. So he was one of my very early interviews. And it was my interview with him was very popular. So we kept in touch. And, and he I, I actually um, my mother passed on. And this is when um, I had a small inheritance. That's where I got the money to get a consumer grade camcorder and decided to start making a documentary on UFOs. That's why I went to the conferences and that's when I started interviewing people. And, and as I say, Bill was one of my early interviews. And so I, I, in being in touch with Bill, I was, I had small amount of inheritance and I decided I would go to uh, Egypt because I had been to Egypt once before. I love Egypt I love the Middle East. I'm very drawn to the Middle East, to Africa and India, places like this feel like home to me. And, you know, Nepal and the Tibet and, and Shambhala and all of this. So I um, basically, you know, kept in touch with Bill. He invited, I was going to um, Egypt with, uh, it was on a tour with uh, Jordan Maxwell and William Henry, and they were going to look for the signs of Atlantis in Egypt. So that was of great interest to me because I have memories of Atlantis. And so I, you know, I joined that tour as basically a nobody <laughs> on the tour. But I, even on the tour, I interviewed Jordan Maxwell, <laughs> which is kind of funny because he told me I could never publish that interview. And actually, I don't think I ever have, um, even though now he's come out 
talking about aliens. Back in those days, I was asking about aliens and he told me things about himself and aliens, but he would never, he said back then he wouldn't talk about aliens. Got to understand that back when I started, all of the colleagues that I have wouldn't talk about aliens because that would give you a stigma. They would talk about UFOs. I know this is, sounds very strange, but they would talk about UFOs, but they wouldn't talk about the occupants. <laughs> and so, you know, if you said you were abducted or you talked to aliens, then you were basically kind of um, kicked kicked out of the, of the whole sector back in those days. So I was different in that I knew it was all, you know, that there was aliens and they were driving those ships and the, you know, military was interacting and so, and so, so um, basically that's, that's what happened. So when I went to uh, Egypt on the way back, I decided I'll stop in Tintad in England because Bill had offered to show me that the stone circles, because I had never toured the stone circles of England. And that was a fab fabulous, um, you know, place. And I was very interested in ancient, ancient sites. And um, as a kid, I had been obsessed with King Arthur. Um, like my favorite book was the once and future King. I read it over and over and over again. Um, I don't know why I was like that, but that's the way it was. And so when Bill invited me to see the stone circles, he also just a serendipity or whatever, or not, actually not, you know, it's all fortuitous, but he invited me to go to Tintagel and Tintagel is considered to be one of the former castles, uh, homes of King Arthur. So we went there and I started to have past life recall there of the time of Arthur. And so it was during that time that Bill and I became very close we decided to create a project together. We decided we name it. We tried to figure out, should we call it? Because we wanted to put Camelot in the name. And it was another, you might want to call it a coincidence or serendipity, but it's another predestined thing that psychics had told Bill before I ever met him, just serendipitous in his world, so to speak, that he might be the former Arthur. And he never believed it. But he told he did tell me that that they told him that. But I had past life recall that he was Arthur. And I actually I don't know why, but that's what I got. And I was Guinevere. And I, you know, that's in my book. I do talk about it. Um, look, the way I look at it is, you know, we come in, we can imprint on certain um, archetypes, if you will. And so I am the warrior princess archetype. Um, and so on. And, and so he was not a very nice guy, King Arthur <laughs> back in those days and so on. But um, so that's what I had. I had past life recall while we were there. And so we decided to create this, this project to get the truth out. And he had been contacted by a sort of whistleblower guy. And so we decided we'd make him our first interview and, uh, the rest, I guess, you saves is history. Very cool. Um, what an amazing journey you've had. And I've had a lot of connections to the places you talk about, Atlantis, Egypt, um, yeah, Stonehenge, all those areas. So um, I'm just really grateful to you that in a time when people didn't talk about, I like to call it galactics, but aliens, um, that you stood up and were brave enough to do that, to take that label, whether it was right or wrong. Uh, because Thank you. Well, 10 years ago, we couldn't bring up that word without someone looking at it sideways. 
now you bring yeah. it up and you say about the Galactics and they're like, tell me more, tell me more. So look at the change that you and others have been able to create in our system. It's amazing. We're really grateful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, I think it's wonderful that, I mean, I don't agree with the the way they're doing this so-called dog and pony show, as I call it, um, with the disclosure and they are lying to people. You know, it's been over 70 years of cover up. Now they're suddenly saying, oh, well, maybe we think the, the UFOs might be Chinese or they might be Russian or, you know, we they're not, they're probably not alien, but they could be alien. It's it's like I can't believe we're like turn the clock back, and it's already that you know Roswell happened over seventy years ago, and suddenly they're acting like it's the days around Roswell when they didn't know anything, and this is such a lie. Um, so I you know I I'm dismayed at at what the lies they will tell the public and believe you know that the public's going to believe them, but I think lots of people are now hip to secret space program. You know, there's so many people out there investigating and and you know having whistleblowers and you know super soldiers etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So I do think that things are moving along in spite of the sort of official story. So as it was always said to be that we would be the ones to bring disclosure, they're behind us. They're not in front of us, the mainstream. So uh, where it's going to go from here, how it's going to get outed, how they're going to get outed. I mean, we have been outing them all along, but how, you know, how, how is the game going to proceed from here? I just don't know, but it's, it's, you know, it's worth the ride, let's say. So um, actually, I should get going. I, I, I thank you for all the questions and all the, you know, the time that you wanted to ask questions and such. And I hope this has been, you know, useful for people. Um, did this you want to go ahead? Very beneficial for everybody. Um like Orion Intuitive, many of us on here, we, we have the galactic talk and uh, a lot of this stuff. So we're very open to this. And I really am honored to have you on here. Hopefully we can connect again. And I really appreciate your time, Carrie. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, it's been fun. You know, I like doing this. So I'll be happy to do it again in the future. Awesome. You have a great rest of your day. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Carrie. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much.